1912. There was a uh, famous ship that we all know about called the Titanic. It was an unsinkable ship, and I say that in quotes because that was what it was known as. And it was a beautiful ship. And it was a ship that had unparalleled amenities and luxuries. And on its maiden voyage, with 2,224 passengers aboard, it sank. And 1,500 people drowned with it. And this ship came back into focus, of course, this year when there was a Titan submersible, little submarine type of vehicle that was going to look at the Titanic from up close. And of course, the five members aboard the ship, some of them billionaires, imploded and captured the world's attention. Bringing the Titanic back into the world's focus. And so many lessons since the sinking of that ship in 1912 have been learned. How many drushes have been given? How many stories have been related about the many, many lessons and mistakes and errors and hubris that human beings sometimes possess And there's so many things that we can learn, and there's so many parallels, even from this small Titan ship, and how there was a certain degree of hubris involved in that voyage as well. But that's not really what I want to speak about this evening on Tishabov. But there is a connection, I believe, that we can learn from between the Titanic and Tishabov. And it's a very important lesson. The second Beis Amikdash was built by Hurdus. The Gemara Baba Basra and Daftalad and Aleph says, Mishalayra binyan Hurdus, Layra binyan Naya biyamav. Whoever did not see the edifice of Hurdus, this magnificent structure that Hurdus built for Klal Yisrael never saw a magnificent edifice in his entire life. That's how beautiful this Beis Hamikdash was. And the Gemara there continues how the way Hurdus built the walls of the Beis Hamikdash was he made different colored marble and each layer protruded a little bit more. And the intention, the reason why he protruded the marble was 
in order to beautify the Mikdash, and he decided that, you know what, once I built it this way, let me already coat the whole thing in gold. He wanted to plate the entire Mikdash in gold, put cement uh, on the stone, and then just attach gold on top. And the Chachamim, the Mepharshim say there weren't that many Chachamim left because he sort of killed everybody, but the Chachamim that remained told him that please don't do that. Don't add gold onto it. There's no need to plate it with gold. You shouldn't plate it with gold because the way it looks right now is beautiful. Shavke to Hachi It's much nicer when you see these different colored marble. Because right now it looks like the waves of the sea. The way that it glimmered. Rashi says that the Galayam Dimnadin Priyasan. You know, there's something very captivating about the way the waves in the ocean just fall one on top of the other, and the eye is uh, rejoices from it. The eye gets pleasure from seeing it, and that's sort of the the illusion that the walls of the Beis Hamikdash had. It looked like like waves of the sea, one on top of another. There was uh, blue, and then there was white, or there was green and white, Machlekes and the Gemara, but it looked very much the way that he, he made these bricks and the way that he, he sort of made some protruding and then the next row not. It made it simulate the waves of the sea and the Chamzei. This is exactly how it looks. This is how it should be. Don't put gold over it. He was willing to spend billions of dollars don't do it. It looks nice. It looks perfect the way it is right now, said the Chachamim to Hordas. And so he listened and he kept it. At a Purim Tish, one year, the Pachad Yitzchak, or Yitzchak Kutner, Zechitzadik Levracha, discussed this very interesting Gemara. And he said, what was it that the Chachamim wished to bring out by ensuring that the vision of waves of the ocean stay permanently ensconced in the Makkah Mikdash. There must be some lesson to this. It's not just a lesson in, uh, in, in architecture, a lesson in, uh, in graphics. There must be a, a depth to it. There must be an aymet to understanding what did the Chachamim want, why was it so important that the sea, that the waves of the sea remain embedded in the focus, in the mind's eye of Chal Yisrael as they enter into the portals of the Mikdash. And I actually heard this online. You can listen to an actual recording of Rav Hutner saying it. It's in Yiddish, but it, you can still understand what he's saying. And... He says as follows. There's a Pasuk in Tehillim. Perak, Petes, Pasuk Yud. Atom Moshel Begeus Hayam. David Amelech writes, You rule over the raging seas. Pesai Galav Ata When its waves arise, you calm them. Meaning that HaKadosh is able to control the seas. And even when those waves, those strong, powerful waves, begin to rise, and they churn, and they storm, 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with his infinite power has the ability to calm them, to Shabchem. But Rav Hutner says that some Mepharshim explain that the Lashem to Shabchem is not to calm, but it's rather the way we probably would have understood the Pasuk in our limited vocabulary, to Shabchem is Lashem of Shabach. You praise them. When you see the waves of the sea rising up, you praise them, Hashem. Hashem loves that. There's something about the rising waves of the sea that HaKadosh is completely enthralled by. Basai Galav Ata You sing praises, HaKadosh to the Yam because of this Midah that it has, that it rises, that these waves rise before they crash. What's so great about a rising wave, asks Sir Butner. And he says as follows. Although the sea knows it will crash, it looks at now as it rises and crests, and Hashem praises that. Meaning, a wave, if a wave would have a seichel, it would understand that, where am I going already? I'm just going to crash down a second later and then go the fate of every other wave that crashed down. Waves just go, they rise and they fall, and then they return the 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 uh, the pull of the the pull of the of the sea of the ocean pulls it back the tide and it goes again, and then the next wave comes and crashes rises and crashes and returns rises crashes and returns why does it do this why does the wave bother it knows that it's just going to crash why does it bother rising but the abishtak loves this. This is a midah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is enthralled by because it wants to see that the sea has the energy to go until the bitter end, to rise and rise and rise. And yes, in a second I might fall, but right now I'm on the rise and I'm going to give everything that I can to do this Avaida. And when and if and when I crash, I crash. But that's okay. But I have to give my all until the end. I don't give up hope. I don't just say... Let's be Miyash. It's not going to work out in the end. Let's just, you know, everything is going to fall apart anyway. So let's just not even rise. Why are we even bothering rising our seas, rising our waves? Let's just, just be, a, you know, be a still river, be a lake. What are you doing, O wave? When Akadosh sees the waves, that they don't say this. They don't have that attitude of, what's the point? Give it up. Have yish, give in. It's not going to do anything anyway. In a little bit longer, you're just going to crash. So what are you rising for? For what? A sea never says that. A sea continuously gives every single thing that it has until the bitter end. And that's the shevach of the sea. Atatashabtim, you praise it. Akash Baruch loves that. And Rav Hutner says that during the time of the Beis HaMikdash, the second Beis HaMikdash, they knew, at a certain point, they knew that the Beis HaMikdash was going to be destroyed. The handwriting was on the wall, literally. They understood that the time of the Beis HaMikdash is going to end. And they could rightfully say, listen, if this is all going to come crashing down, 
if the whole base on is going to be nechrav, just like the bias Rishon was nechrav, and they saw already, they knew the Nevi'im were telling them this, they understood this, they could have very easily said, you know, let's just hang up our hang up our harps, let's not sing anymore, let's not do the Avaid anymore, let's just walk away from it all. But when Klai Yisrael saw the waves on the, on the walls, when it saw this marble that simulated waves, it reminded them that that's not how HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be with all of our strength and all of our power until the very end, until we literally run out of strength, until the Beis HaMikdash is mamish, literally destroyed, up until that point, Klai Yisrael is expected to do the Avaida with all of their song, with all of their heart, with all of their might, with all of their resources, with all their power. Everything is supposed to be given over to the Rabbi Nishalim. Do your Avaida b'shlei Musa, b'tmi Musai. And when it comes crashing down, it comes crashing down. But until that moment, do not stop. Do not stop the Avaida. Be like the waves. Chazal knew this all Baruch HaKadosh, and they told her this, leave it. Let Chalai Yisrael see. Let them be inspired for all times, as long as they're working in this, in this Mikdash. As long as Chalai Yisrael is entering here, doing the Avaida, the Kayhanim Ba'avaydasim Olvim B'shirim V'duchanam, B'shirim Izimram. Let them continuously give, them, give their all. And when it ends, it ends. But we will never stop. We want to be like those waves that come rising, even though it might come crashing in a second, inevitably, it's okay, I'm still going to give my all until the bitter end. The reason why I thought of the Titanic is because there's a there were eyewitnesses. There are many people that survived the Titanic. And one of the most fascinating things that I always, always caught my imagination was that you can imagine the, cha- the chaos aboard the ship. Imagine that these were not, you know, these were the wealthiest, most powerful people. There was also a third class section that, you know, with, with, with very poor people. But many, many people on the ship were, were billionaires of the time. They were powerful and they were their wives or their children. And you can ima- think for a second, like what must be going on as everybody is running to and fro, trying to get on a lifeboat, getting your kids on the lifeboats, and you know, seeing the waves, seeing the water rise on the ship's hull, and, and they knew it, it was inevitable that many of them were, were gonna die. But there was a, a group of musicians that were paid to be on the ship as musicians and there was a violin player, and there was a cello player, and heroically what they did was, a group of them, maybe three or four, they played, they continued to play their musical instruments as the ship was, was sinking in order to calm the people on the ship. An incredible thing to do, and, and they were, I don't know, after they died, they were given tremendous covet posthumously because this came out, this this little piece of information, how they tried to calm all the people that were going crazy on the ship at those last moments. That was the last thing they did. I think one of them said, as, this, as the water was literally engulfing them, the, the head person who was, who was playing the violin said, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure playing with you this evening. And that was the end, and then they drowned. 
This is exactly what happened, Lahavdo maybe, in the times of the Beis Hamikdash. In the time of the Bayasheni, Chazal tells us there's a Gemara in several places that say that as the enemy was coming into the Makamah Mikdash and everything was going to be lost, there was only, it was a matter of minutes, and they were setting fire to the different parts of the Mikdash and they were going to kill every single person that was alive in there. The Levim were standing, they were standing on their platform where they sang Shira. And we know exactly what the Shira was. Chazal tell us that they said, They didn't have a chance to finish that Pasuk until the Ayyavim came and destroyed the Mikdash. If you look in the Mepharshim, they say, had they had the ability to finish that Pasuk, it could have stopped potentially the entire Chorban. That's how powerful was this Shira. They didn't have a chance, and therefore the enemy was able to come in and destroy them and burn down the Mikdash. But amazing, the act of Messiris Nefesh that the Levim had, they saw it was, what are you doing? Run away, try to hide, go into... No, because they saw the waves on the wall of Hurdus, on the walls of this magnificent Beis HaMikdash, and they said, just like the waves, Basai Ga'alavata Teshavchim, you give it your all, and you only rise as high as you can, knowing that you're going to crash, but you give it your all while you're rising. That's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to play with all of our strength until the very last moment. We want to squeeze out of ourselves everything that we can give to the Rabbi Shalom in this life. And that's how... We truly serve HaKadosh Baruch We're not a people that just run away, that we hide and we try to... We have a mission to do, and our mission is not accomplished until the bitter, bitter end, until the last moment. The music has to continue playing. And you find this by the great Jewish leaders throughout time, throughout history. Meshur Abeinu, the Pasuk says at the end of the Torah, that that until the end, until the last day of his life, he was still giving Musar and Teichach on his, he didn't shrivel, he didn't, he didn't dry up, the liquid in his body was still moist and fresh, and he was still giving everything that he had until the end. He never got frail, he never got fragile. He just gave and he gave and gave until it was the end. Rabbi Akiva, the Greek Rabbi Akiva, the same thing, he was being tortured by the Romans, and Yatsan Nishmasa Be'echad, he said, And that's how he gave his life till the end. He didn't say, Okay, I did it, and let's just uh, coast the rest of the way until the last breath that he took. He was like a wave that did not give up until he actually crashed. Ramesha Feinstein, there's a, a well known story about how the last words that he gave, the wor- last words that he said were in a Hatzalah ambulance. There was a Hatzalah ambulance, and I saw recently just, you know, I, I like this sort of stuff, so they, they have that ambulance that this story is, that I'm about to tell you took place on, and they're putting it in the Hatzalah Museum. I don't know, there was a Hatzalah Museum, but maybe they're making it, but this ambulance, they retired the ambulance and they're saving it. What happened on this ambulance? This is the ambulance that Ramesha Feinstein was nifter on. And the paramedics, that Salah people, the Malachim that were working on Ramesha as 
he was so sick and he was being rushed to the hospital on that. I believe it was, uh, it was Arab Purim. So he, uh, he said his last words, I don't have any more strength. I have no more strength. Meaning, up until that moment, until his last breath, he was giving all of his power to Kali Yisrael. All of his Piskei all of his Kedusha, all of his power, all of his Chachma, all of his Shirim, all of his Joshas, all of his everything. The Ramesha was the whole dar. And he gave, and he gave, and he gave until his last moment on this world, like a wave, like the Levian. That's what a Yid is. A Yid is somebody that doesn't stop. Klai Yisrael never stops. We don't give up and we don't give in and we just continue to go until we can't go anymore. I'll tell you a beautiful story. There was a, a Rebetzin in Brooklyn. Her name is Zahava Bronstein. Rebetzin Zahava Bronstein. And she was a real powerhouse. She was married to a, to a, a Rabbi Bronstein who was... Uh, he was a Shiva. He ended up uh, eventually. He became the Manal of Chaim Berlin, Masifta. Uh, but she was like a, a legendary woman, and she was uh, um, she was a great speaker, and she was a very great mashpia. Uh, she basically built uh, the Beis Yaakov, the Svardish Beis Yaakov in Brooklyn, a massive, massive Beis Yaakov, and she made a lot of these Syrian women, uh, young women from. And a lot of the great you know, growth of the Syrian community in Brooklyn is, is in, in no small part due to her efforts because without, you know, without the women being on board, the men wouldn't be on board and the men without the women wouldn't go. And so she was the one that was mashpia. She had tremendous, tremendous influence on this on entire dar of Sardish women. Uh, she wasn't Sardish herself, but she, this is what she gave her life to. And... Um, and she died very, very young. She got Yana Machla, and she was, uh, she was very, very sick, and she died. When she was uh, a young married woman, it was her first, um, her first year as a Kaila wife, and she and her husband davened on Rashaniyam Kippur in Chaim Berlin. And it's an interesting thing. In Chaim Berlin, I've da- I davened there many years, uh, on Matzayim Kippur, so we have it here also by Neila, you know, you say Hashem Ulakim, Hashem Ulakim, and it's very dramatic and everybody's crying and screaming and you know, and, and then you say Kaddish and you know, it's a very it's a highlight of the year, it's an emotional high but generally, like here we, we start with and we're in a big rush to, you know, to get Mayrav done with so we can eat and that makes sense also Chaim Berlin has a minig, they start singing and the whole place goes crazy. It's like you think it's like an old, an old, an old niggin that no, everybody rolls their eyes when the guy by Halal starts singing that. It's like a, you know, you think it's an old young Israel niggin, but it's really Chaim Berlin is singing every. It's like a, it, it could be a really beautiful niggin, especially if you have hundreds and hundreds of people singing it, you know, with a geshmak and dancing and crying, and. And then, the, you know, Yudav Meirev, and he was walking, she was walking home with her husband after Ne'ila. And she asked her husband, she says, I don't understand. Like, what's going on? Is this a joke? Is this a game? Like, you're crying one second, 
everybody's crying and screaming, and the, you know, the, uh, the Avinu Malkinus, and then Hashem Malakim, Shema Yisrael, Baruch and, you know, everybody's, like, crying and screaming, and, and Kaddish, and then all of a sudden, you start dancing and singing and emotionally high, like, it's a roller coaster. Like, what's going on? Are you sad? Are you happy? Are you scared? Are you euphoric? Like, what's going on? So her husband told her, her husband was just Nifter last year, two years ago. She was Nifter maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago. But her husband said as follows. He said, he was a, a guy, he said that this is what Klai Yisrael is all about. He says, when the gates of Shemayim are open, by Ne'ila, they're still open, they're closing, but they're still open. You give everything that you have. You just leave it all on the field. You just give and you give and you cry and you... And then once the gates close and there's nothing left to do because the gates are now shut, now you just throw everything into HaKadosh Baruch Hu's arms. And you just rejoice because now I did all that I could. There's nothing left to do. And I always love that story because that's really what a yid is supposed to be. A yid has to give and give and give and, until you can't give anymore. And once you gave everything, now you can rejoice. It's interesting because I think it's lishitasa a little bit. It's consistent with something else that I know about her life. I don't know that much about her life, but I happen to know this as well. Because I read an article about her once. That she once told her students in, her, in, in, in the Beis Yaakov that she taught at, that she led. You know, she said, I think some, a student asked her, like, if this was the last day of your life, what would you do? What would you be doing? Like, would you spend the whole day you know, davening and saying tillim and giving tzedakah. Like, what would you do if this is the last day of your life? So she said, she said, no. If this was the last day of my life, she said, I'd like to be cooking my husband a vegetable soup that he likes. And I'd be playing with my grandchildren on the floor with, with their toys and doing exactly what I do every, on a normal day. This is what I do. This is my life. This is what I dedicated my life to. And, and that's my, that last day of my life will be no different. And this student that heard this actually visited Rebetzin Bronstein on the last day of her life, or one of the last days of her life. She was very, very sick, deathly ill. And she came, she rang the doorbell. And guess what was the scene? There was a hat a hot pot of vegetable soup on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the oven, and she was sitting on the floor playing with her grandchildren. That's exactly this vart, that until the very end, you have to know that this is my avayda, and this is what I'm going to be giving until the end, until I physically cannot do anything anymore. I want to continue to squeeze out every ounce that I have of avayda Hashem, my avayda, whatever avayda is. Every person's avayda is very different. A man's avayda is different than a woman's avayda. Different men have different, well, different women have different, children have a different avayda. Every, old people have avayda. Tamil Chama have an avayda. Balabata. Every person has their own avayda. Whatever your avayda is, you have to continuously do that. Dr. Lander used to say there's no word in Hebrew for retirement. Retirement is an American word, an English word, that in Lashon HaKadosh there's no word for retirement. It doesn't exist. In America, there's a muster. I'm going to work this long, and then I'm going to retire. There's no retirement. What does that mean, retire? That's not a Jewish concept. 
you work and work and work until you can't work anymore. If you're a Talmud Chacham, you learn until your last day and that's it. You know, it's retirement. And Dr. Lander was a symbol of this. Dr. Lander himself was a person who literally did not retire. He was still, when he was, he built this Makam Tire that we're in right now when he was in his mid to late 80s, I believe. He never retired. And he was blind. He couldn't, he could hardly walk. He couldn't see a thing. And, but he, he built this Makam. This is a place that, you know, a 30-year-old would, would not be able to put up. But an 85-year-old blind man was, this is what he did. You give your Avaida, you know what your Avaida is, and you continuously do that until you can't do it anymore, period. That's the Beis HaMikdash. That's the lesson that we learn from the walls of the Beis HaMikdash. the Yama, like the waves of the sea, that you just keep on rising, the waves just keep on going, continuously doing its purpose, serving its mission, doing what the Rabbi Hashem wants until it stops. And then when it stops, there's going to be another wave that comes. And Kla Yisrael never dies. I mean, you just see it. And we're living in times that we could see this so clearly. We had a Holocaust. Had a Holocaust. Six million people died. If I were, you know, if you, if you, if I'd say start counting to six million, I could come back next week. You'd probably still be counting. Six million people died, and the people that survived were wish they died because they, they, they had nothing. Their wives, their children, their parents, their families, their extended families, their, their friends, everybody died. And they came to America, they came to Israel, they came to South America, to Europe, and they started building. And they built everything that we have is from them. The shuls, the yeshivas, the kailim, the beis the the chadarim, the gemachs, the, everything is from them. They built, they didn't say, you know what, it's over. I'm, I'm hanging up my head. That's it. I'm, do, I'm just going to retire. You know, I, they could have. No one would have blamed them. They came here without the shirt on their back. And somehow, someway, they're able to, 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 to begin a business, start a yeshiva, start a shul. And that's what we have in America. We're built on the shoulders of giants. Because they understood this. This is the lesson that they learned from the Beis HaMikdash. That you don't stop playing the music until the end. It never stops. The waves could crash. But then we have to start waving, starting the wave all over again until that crashes, and until that crashes, and until that crashes, and never give in and never give up. We are the last dar. We firmly believe that this is the dar. We're living in times of Iqvisa the Meshicha, these are times that the Chavetz Chaim already told us that Mashiach is waiting. And all the G'dayli Yisrael have been telling us that we're living in times that Mashiach is mamish, mamish here. Up, up. He's, he's here. All he's waiting for us to want him, to let him in, and to do what we have to do. But we are the last Dar. And look at the Dar that we have. Look at how proud we should be of our Dar. Look what's going on just a month ago or two ago. There was this event in, uh, in Philadelphia in a big stadium. It was billed as Adiri Atayra. You had tens of thousands of B'nai Taira that just came to celebrate the fact that there are people that are Meisr, Leib, and Ephraim, This is something that 
to us, maybe we're used to, it's not such a big deal because we went through a few CMS Shasta already in MetLife Stadium. We think, all right, it's no big deal. Wherever we go, we see Jews. If you would understand what this was an impossible dream in the 1930s, in the 1940s, before people like the Baron Butler came to these shores, and Ramesha Feinstein, and Rabbi Yashaber Salavechik, and so many other G'dayle Eilam, Rav Lutner, and Rav Ruderman, and Rav and, and Kam, and, and, and Rav Shlomo and, and the list goes on, and we'll be here all night. But great G'dayle Yisrael, but G'dayle Eilam that came to these shores and began building and spreading the concepts of Tyre Lishma and being able to have women in the Beis Yaakovs that support Kail Yengalite and people that want to learn. We have them here in our issue of Arch Hashem. We have them in Bechal Tzvutsas Yisrael. This is something that we have to understand is greatness. We have greatness. We are just another wave. And we too are giving all of our all. We're giving our all. We have so much to be proud of. Are we a perfect generation? No. We have a lot of problems. We have a lot of issues, unfortunately. But the vast, by and large, I think if, there, if we can understand how proud the Rabbi Islam is of us, of our generation, we would not fathom the nachas that HaKadosh has from us. Every time somebody sits and learns a Black Gemara, in, in this year, so many years, close to 2,000 years, my wife told me it was, I think, 1,955 years ago was the Chor Mesa Mikdash. So it's like we're, we're within striking distance of 2,000 year, 2,000 year Gaulus, pogroms, inquisitions, holocaust, tachvetat, the most impossible things. And not only are we still here, but we're waves, we're, we're rising. Our numbers are rising, our power is rising, the Limanat Tyre, the Asmada, the Amelus, the Lundus, the, the Tzedakah, the Chesed, the, the Aksala, the Chaverim, the Gemachs, the, the Matan Beseser, what we wouldn't do for another Yid, we have so much to be proud of. This is our legacy from the Beis HaMikdash. We all, every Dar looks at the Beis HaMikdash. And today is a day that we are mourning the Churban, the Beis HaMikdash. But it's also a day that we want to also plant the seeds for a future Binning Beis HaMikdash. And the way we do that is to think in our mind's eye of those Azvis of the Yama, those waves of the sea on the, on the Binning of Urdus, reminding us that we have to do more, give all that we have, and daven with more kavana, and daven to the Rabbi Shema Tishabab to send Mashiach away. We don't want this anymore. We can't continue this way. We have to come back to the Makamukish. We need Mashiach to come and to be matzlas from all the tsaras that are going on in Eretz Yisrael and Chutzaret. We plant the seeds on Tisha B'av for Mashiach. Mashiach is born on Tisha B'av. It's his birthday. His name is Menachem. This is the, the, the Nechama that comes out from the Churban. And if we think in a positive way, not just of the destruction, but of how we can build the next Beis HaMikdash. And the way we do that is by redoubling our efforts, making the wave that we have of our life go even higher and even stronger, giving more of ourselves, learning more, seeing people that need help and going over and putting our arm around their shoulder and asking what can we do, helping people with Shidduchim, helping people with Parnassah, helping people with issues, whatever issues may exist in other people's worlds, taking that upon ourselves, adopting other people as our own, 
And when we do that, that's the ultimate way of building another Beis HaMikdash. With the Adas of the Yama, with those waves, those beautiful enchanted waves that remind us of what our duty in life is, what our mission is, to continuously give and give and give until we have no more kayak. We have no more kayak, that's when we're putter. But until, as long as we're able-bodied and we're able to do more and more, we have to extend ourselves, we have to give of ourselves, of our resources, of our time, of our minds, of our kavana, to the Rebbeinah Shalom, to call yourself. And there's no doubt in my mind, no doubt, that if we're able to do this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will make this day of Tishavav Karalaymayed into the greatest Yantif. We'll be able to go from the Ne'ilas Hachag, where we're crying, and suddenly turn it all around. Yevarach Hasbeis Yisrael. Yisrael Hashem Aleichem. Aleichem Avneichem. Baruchem Atem Hashem. Aisei Shemayim Noritz.